Well, you guys had me today, and I'm so excited to, to, to walk through this with you. But uh, hey, last week, <laughs> appreciate that. Last week, we, we wrapped up our, our sermon series on the, the book of, of Genesis, specifically focusing on the story of Joseph. And throughout that series, we witnessed uh, God's unwavering faithfulness as he guided Joseph through the highs and lows of his life. It was truly remarkable to see how God protected, blessed, and elevated Joseph, um, ultimately using him to save his family and an entire nation from the grip of famine. Uh, Today, uh, we shift our focus a bit to how God takes care of us, how he does this in ways that nothing and no one else can. Uh, To do this, we'll be looking at the Good Shepherd discourse in the 10th chapter of the book of John. Where, where Jesus uses the imagery of a shepherd to describe himself and his relationship to his sheep. Uh, and, and I, I want to get this out of the way from the start, because naturally we don't like the ideal of being called sheep. But all throughout John chapter 10, there's no doubt that the sheep that Jesus is talking about is his people, us. And although we may not like the ideal of, uh, that we are sheep, Because let's be real, sheep wander away and they aren't really that smart. Uh, The point is not so much about who we are as sheep, but who Jesus is as the shepherd. How how great and awesome he is in in contrast to those who care nothing for the sheep. A good example of this is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, where God makes a promise to bring his people Israel back from their exile in Babylon. He compares this act to a compassionate shepherd who gathers his lambs in his arms. God's intention was for his people to comprehend his his grace, mercy, and love. To to convey these qualities, God appointed leaders who would be responsible for caring for his flock. However, those who held positions of religious influence and were meant to represent God to his people fell short in their duties. Instead of nurturing and and guiding the Israelites towards a genuine encounter with God, they caused harm. They led the people away from their chief shepherd, leaving them distressed, diseased, and broken. The same is true of the Pharisees here in John. Let me give you a little context. In chapter 9, Jesus encounters a man who has been blind since birth, and he miraculously restores his sight. This extraordinary act of compassion and power displayed by Jesus should have been a cause of celebration and recognition of God's presence and work among his people. However, instead of rejoicing over what had taken place, the Pharisees reacted with skepticism and hostility. They questioned the man who was healed, interrogating him and his parents. And this was all done to discredit Jesus. So when The man who had once been blind refused to denounce Jesus. He was kicked out of the synagogue. And this was a big deal because the synagogue was the central place of worship and community for the Jewish people. Being barred from it meant being excluded from religious and social life. And so what the Pharisees were doing here was the very opposite of what they were supposed to do as shepherds. They were focusing on their own legalistic interpretations and rules instead of the well-being of this man. Simply put, they were leaving him to wander alone and fend for himself. However, Jesus doesn't, however, he doesn't remain alone for long. Jesus finds him. And this encounter between Jesus and the healed man is our first glimpse at the contrast that exists between those who are self-righteous and self-serving in Jesus. We see that while the Pharisees rejected and expelled the man, Jesus embraced and comforted him. This is the character of God, isn't it? Our God seeks out the lost and cares for those who have been marginalized. Think about that for a moment. I want you to put yourself in this man's shoes. Have you ever felt unloved, rejected, or abandoned? If so, here is one who sticks closer than a brother, one that loves at all time, a brother who was born for adversity. He is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
Like a shepherd, he seeks after his own. And when he has found us, he never lets go. Blindness kept the Pharisees from seeing this in Jesus. They thought that they could see. They thought that among Israel, they were the most advanced in their grasp of spiritual truth and the most holy in their manner of life. But they were just as blind as the man they shunned once was. They couldn't recognize their long-awaited Messiah. They simply refused to believe. And we see this in their actions. And so... We come to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, where where Jesus begins drawing a contrast between himself and them. That's where we're going this morning because Jesus is telling us something very, very important. And it is this, that he is better than anyone in anything else. That he is the better shepherd who, who never fails to care for his sheep. That is the meaning behind the contrast that he's making. So, if you have your Bibles with you, um, open up to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has bought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay. Let's begin by exploring this distinction in how Jesus gathers the sheep. In the passage, Jesus speaks of the shepherd entering the sheepfold through the door, distinguishing himself from those who tried to enter through illegitimate means. The the thieves and robbers Jesus is referring to are those false leaders, religious imposters, and and self-proclaimed shepherds who gain access to the sheep through ways that God has not intended. Jesus, on the other hand, enters through the door, symbolizing his rightful authority and genuine care for his sheep. The significance of this is further seen in the sheep's response to his voice. The sheep recognize his voice, and he calls them by name, establishing a personal connection with each one of them. Just as a shepherd knows his sheep by name and and leads them out, Jesus knows us intimately and calls us into a deeper relationship with him. On a personal level, this truth is even more transformative when we realize calling us by name means acknowledging our uniqueness and individuality. Jesus doesn't simply know us in passing. He knows us intimately. He knows our needs, our struggles, and our deepest desires. He knows everything about us and calls us to follow him. In a world that often leaves us feeling lost and disconnected, Jesus offers us the security and belonging we long for. On a practical level, this strikes a chord for me as a parent. I am a father, a shepherd to my two daughters, Grace and Catalina. I want them to know that they're seen and known by me. I want them to know that there's a place where they belong. I want them to know that even when they mess up, they're still part of the flock. That doesn't mean that I won't correct them when they misbehave. Like any parent, I want my children to listen and obey. But I don't ever, ever, ever want them to think for a second that when they mess up, they're no longer loved or need to earn my love. And this reminds me of the lost sheep parable where Jesus emphasizes his unwavering commitment to find even a single stray that has left his fold. Just as a diligent shepherd leaves the 99 to search for the one that is lost, so also Jesus actively seeks out those who have wandered away from him. Because we belong to him, Jesus relentlessly pursues us. He calls out to us, and when he has found us, he he brings us back into the fold of his love. Isn't that true of the story of our redemption? 
We see Jesus leaving the glories of heaven to save sinners like us. We see the great limbs that he went to to bring us to the Father. We were helpless and hopeless, but he saved us, not because he needed us, not because of works done by righteousness by us, but because of his mercy. I want to live in light of that. I want others to know this love and see it in my actions toward them. What about when we fell? Because that's reality, right? We're not perfect. Like the Pharisees, we'll inevitably fail in some way to shepherd as parents, as spouses, as employers, and and so on. So, So what do we do? We turn our eyes to the chief shepherd. We remember that we too are sheep in need of a shepherd. He's who we turn to when we're feeling lost and scattered. He's who we look to when it feels like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. He is the better shepherd, which means that the weight is on him. He will work through our weaknesses and failures to accomplish his purpose in and through us as we shepherd others. And when our confidence is placed in him, rather than in ourselves, that's when we can finally rest. No longer despairing over our failures, but seeing them as opportunities for God's grace to shine through and his strength to work in us. Jump ahead with me to verses 16 through 17. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Context is important here. Remember that Jesus is speaking to a group of Pharisees, and the sheep that he's been referring to is Israel. When Jesus proclaimed that he had other sheep that did not belong to the same fold, he was essentially challenging the Pharisees' understanding of God's plan of salvation. His words implied that God's grace extended beyond the confines of Judaism and encompassed individuals from different backgrounds. The notion threatened the exclusive worldview of the Pharisees who were accustomed to viewing themselves as the sole recipients of God's grace. But where the Pharisees sought to scatter the sheep, Jesus sought to gather them. The scripture reminds us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world to create cliques. He came to unite and shepherd a diverse group of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it is through his life, death, and resurrection that the divisive walls of sinful humanity are torn down. In him, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We are all one family, one flock. This is the transformative power of the gospel. It levels the playing field, making us all equal before God. There's no condition that you must meet regarding your ethnicity, social class, IQ, career, school choice, or family history to be in the flock other than trusting Jesus to be your shepherd. There's nothing tangible in and of yourself that you need to fix before going to him. Go to him. He has done the work and will continue to do the work of shaping you into Jesus' image. He is the great shepherd. He is the great shepherd over all God's people, both Jew and Gentile. And if you hear his voice today, then he is also your personal shepherd. And yet, there are other voices besides Jesus that call out to us every day, voices in our culture, and sometimes, sadly, even in the church, that call us to compromise, that that ask of us, has God really said? Instructively, Jesus is teaching us to be discerning and cautious in choosing who we listen to. We should not blindly follow anyone who claims to be a shepherd and God. We must test them all by the voice of our shepherd. And so what we need is discernment. But that is only built in relationship with Jesus. How do the sheep know the voice of the shepherd over the voice of strangers? They know it. Because they have spent time with him. They have been with him in the fields, by the waters, and even in the valleys. His voice is familiar because they heard it a thousand times. What about you? Have you sought him in prayer? Have you immersed yourself in his word? Have you joined a, a missional community or a DNA group here at New City made up of people who will... Who will 
help you believe, who will support you and encourage you and point you to Jesus. Because that's what it really boils down to, right? Believing him. Trusting him. Because no one willingly obeys or follows someone they can't trust. And so... Jesus gathers his sheep. He calls them out by name, and they follow him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to emphasize his role as the protector of the sheep. In verses 7 through 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does the shepherd do when there is no door? What does the shepherd do when there is no door? He becomes the door. He stands in the opening of the pen or lays across the opening to keep the sheep in and dangers out. If thieves and wild animals attempt to enter, they must go through him first. Jesus as the door doesn't just offer us physical protection, but also spiritual protection. Through him, the sheep are saved and find abundant life, free from the destructive influences of the enemy. And there are two things that we need to consider here. First, Jesus' role as the door emphasizes the exclusive nature of the way to salvation. He declares... I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, um, he will go in and out and find abundant life. Listen. There is no other way to experience true and abundant life except through Jesus. His way is not merely one of many options. His way is a singular path to eternal life and reconciliation with God. The challenge here for all of us, not just for the unbeliever, is to consider our beliefs and the paths that we may be following. Are we placing our trust solely in Jesus as the door to salvation? Are we tempted to seek an alternative route? Second, we are reminded that we're not just saved from something, but we're saved to something Yes, Jesus saves us from sin and its consequences, but he also saves us to walk with him, to go in and out throughout our lives without fear, feasting on his provision to our heart's content. To, to be saved and go in and out and find pasture is to have life and have it abundantly. I wonder, what comes to your mind when you think about the abundant life? Perhaps some of you right now are sitting out on a boat under the sunshine, drinking the cold, sweet iced tea, and life is good. Maybe a few of you are thinking about the abundant life, and you're holding hands with someone you love, and, and they love you. Or you're at work, and you're doing great, and you're making deals, and you're getting promotions, and you're earning respect, and everybody likes you. Life is good. But, but is that the abundant life Jesus is talking about here? No. The, the abundant life that Jesus came to give you and I is satisfaction and contentment in him. It's, re, it's him reminding us that all of our sins are forgiven and that all the things that used to separate us from God are now gone. And, and now, because of Jesus, because he died for us, and was raised from the dead for us, there is not one single thing in the universe that can stand in the way of God's grace towards us. It's unending grace. God would never get tired of us. God would never regret saving us. We're never going to be snatched from his hands. We are never going to be in a situation where he's not already there with us and working for us so that all of our suffering and all of our pain and all of our circumstances are used by him for our good. Because of that, because this is true when you're, when you're standing on shaky ground, when it feels like the mountains are being swallowed up, or when you're sinking up to your neck in a swamp of sorrow, you can know that God, God is not mad at you. He calls you his child. He calls you by name. You're, you're alive in him. And in him, you have become the richest, most secure person in the world because you had the greatest of all gifts, and it will never be taken away from you. That is 
the abundant life, a life that is not only superior in duration, but also in quality, a life that recommends itself to us not only because it lasts forever, but because it brings us to heights of true joy, a kind of joy that the world can never offer us. And Jesus said that he came to give that to you and I. He is the door, the, the, the entrance and protector of that life, the, the life of his sheep. By believing him, we entered that life, a life found in only in him, one that is lived for him and for others, secure from those who will seek to steal our joy and destroy our faith. Look at verses 11 through 18 with me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, which implies that there certainly are other kinds of shepherds. The text mentions thieves, strangers, and hirelings, all false shepherds who care nothing for the sheep. But notice also that he isn't merely a good shepherd. The text said, says he is the good shepherd. In other words, he's better. He's consistently good and faithful, even when others are not. We, we know this because he not only without fail gathers us up and, 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 and guards us from danger, he also gives his life for us. Listen, how, listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what sets Jesus apart. That's why we put our hope in him instead of in people, places, and things. Why is Jesus so good? Because he lays down his life for his sheep. His care isn't based on our performance or how good we look or how good we smell as sheep. He cares because he's good, and the evidence of that care is the cross. The hired hand, in contrast, is doing this shepherding gig as a part-time job to earn some money for himself. And this impacts to what degree and what length he will take care of the sheep. At some point, something, something really tough is going to happen, right? And the hired hand is going to say, hey, I'm out. I, I don't get paid enough for this. The good shepherd, that is the shepherd who owns the sheep, he has no limitations to his care. In fact, the text says that the good shepherd will lay down his life of his own accord, of his own volition, just to save and protect the sheep. In other words, he's willing and prepared to die for them if that needs to happen. So what does this show us about Jesus? It shows us that Jesus cares for us without limitation. Again, all horizontal relationships will fail at some level of caring for us, but Jesus is different. His love is perfect, unconditional, and unwavering. The hired hand sees the wolf coming and flees. Jesus does not flee, ever. Jesus foresees the threat of the wolf, representing sin, death, and Satan, and he remains steadfast. He faces the danger head on, giving his life in perfect obedience to the Father's plan to protect and rescue his sheep from eternal destruction. However, the, the significance of Jesus' sacrifice lies not only in his willingness to lay down his life for his sheep, but also in his authority to take it up again. His death on the cross was not the end. He rose on the third day. The thieves and wolves came, but our victorious, risen, and living shepherd prevailed. Through his perfect life, 
death, and resurrection. He has accomplished what no other shepherd or religious leader could ever do. He has secured for us forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and entrance into his sheepfold to know him and be known by him forever. So, having explored Jesus' role as the better shepherd who gathers guards and gives his life for the sheep, we, we come to the heart of the matter. Our response. What is our response? The good shepherd's love demands a response from us. As his sheep, we cannot remain indifferent to his sacrifice, guidance, and care. Our response must be one of belief and wholehearted devotion. We are called to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior who laid down his life for our redemption. This belief goes beyond mere intellectual acknowledgement. It involves entrusting our lives to him and accepting his lordship in the everyday stuff of life. Because if he truly is the good shepherd, if he truly is the, the better shepherd who never fails to care for his sheep, we don't need to look elsewhere. We have everything we need in him. If we believe this, the call to action is simple. Turn from those things which do not satisfy and believe. Believe and follow him. He won't disappoint you. He won't fail. He's the better shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us this morning just how great and awesome you truly are. Lord, on a daily basis, we, we forget that. We are so prone to, as sheep, wander away from your love. Lord, I pray by your grace that you would draw us back in. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will hold, your son, you will hold Jesus high up before our eyes, that we might see his beauty, that we might see that he's better than anything and anyone else. Lord, help us to think of that as we leave here. Help us to trust and believe in you and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.